and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. This episode is dedicated to Earth Day, 22nd of April. Today's discussion will focus on water, essential to life on Earth, the most basic human need. Our key question relates to why is water not more central to investor decision-making? We'll discuss why this is and what investors can start to consider to make more of a water impact. I'm Mark Longbottom, Mercer, New Zealand, and I'm joined by colleagues Helga Bergen, Global Chair of Sustainable Investments, John Almore-Jones, a Senior Strategic Research Specialist for Mercer globally. Welcome, John. Welcome, Helga. Hi, Mark. Great to be here. Hi, Mark. Helga, why do we need to care more about water? There's some pretty stark stats on world's uh, water quality, Mark. Uh, for example, 80% of the world's wastewater is returned untreated. Over half of the US and EU rivers are extremely polluted. And a third of the rivers in Asia, Africa and Latin America are severely polluted by pathogens. And then on top of that, less than half of rural populations of Peru, India and many other countries lack indoor plumbing and bathrooms. So water is absolutely more than a commodity. Its value is complex and it has critical human, environmental, social, cultural and investment significance for us. And Mark, I wanted to add a um, a note about my own personal views about, about water that have come from living through drought in Australia firsthand, like literally running out of water when you live, as I did till recently, off the grid for a decade, dependent on catching rainwater, and seeing the way that without water, birds, animals and insect populations upset the balance of nature resulting in insect plagues, destroying all the crops in the region I lived, which affected food, obviously. And seeing water bodies like lakes and rivers that fed the landscape just disappear. It's truly profound. And John, you live and work in London and the UK. What's been your water experience? Well, I guess I'm very lucky to say, first of all, I haven't had those sort of personal you know, experiences which Helga has, and many have uh, throughout the world, um, wherever you are. Um, but I think, you know, when I'm thinking about water and sort of the, the sort of financial aspects to it, perhaps, um, one thing that's very clear is that it's not at all uh, priced in. It's not sort of really on on, on people's radars. Um, you know, there isn't, there isn't a no proper value to it. Um, I think there is some evidence that is starting. Um, if you take the property market in the UK, for instance, uh, you can look up the flood risk potential uh, for you know surface water challenges, etc., for for every single postcode postcode in the UK. So you could you could almost think that you can get a flood risk um, uh, for your for your individual property. So that's based on UK Environment Agency data, which is forward looking. They're looking at sort of fifty year um, events. I don't think it's actually really being taken into account right now. Estate agents aren't aren't really talking about it. They're not really thinking about the sort of long term potential impacts. When they're pricing properties and vendors and purchases aren't, aren't, aren't really either. But the data is there, so there's no doubt that that's going to build over time and people will, will be factoring that in. It'll be much more commonplace. I think one area where there is where, where things are a lot further um, down the track in terms of thinking about water is the UK insurance market. So 
Uh, it's much easier now for businesses to understand their flood risk, to put in resilience plans, to, to think about their actions they, they might be able to take to monitor their flood risk, um, et cetera, over time. So I, th- I, I, th- I think that that's an area which is leading the way, and I suspect that uh, asset owners could, could learn a lot. And you've been doing some really interesting research on this topic. Can you outline that for us? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so we've been in this uh, really interesting uh, p- project um, in partnership with CDP, who are uh, formerly known as uh, the Carbon Disclosure Project, as well as WFN, the Water Footprint Network. So this is a project that's ultimately been sponsored by the Dutch government. And they and what we've been wanting to do is to look into the aspects of why financial institutions aren't taking water risk into account when they're undertaking their financial activities, whether that's as an asset owner giving giving money to asset managers who then invest in companies, whether it's a a, a bank pricing deals, um, whether you know whatever it is, or whether it's insurance, etc. Um, so CDP's angle on it was looking at how they can improve the data transparency of of water impact across you know all financial institutions. WFN's angle was reviewing the research of existing disclosure and reporting frameworks on water, and they've been finalising new water benchmarking criteria. Where we've been coming from at at Mercer was uh, looking at the sort of asset owner, asset manager perspective, so asset owners being pension funds, endowments, etc., and looking at how they are integrating water into their investment decision-making um, as well as looking at what their aspirations might be for how they might improve practices or increase, you know, transparency in uh, uh, water-related um, investments. Um, at an overall level, what what we as in partners in the project and all, all of us together, you know, wanting to see is ultimately to re- to increase the flow um, of capital to uh, to those that are valuing water appropriately. But likewise, reducing the flow of capital to uh, water destructive activities and uh, and water destructive businesses. Fantastic. And in your research, is there a large volume of investors who are undertaking work in this area? Well, I'd love to say they were, and I'd love to say that everybody was doing doing quite a lot. Um, and unfortunately, the the answer to that is that they the, the short answer is they're not really. Um, that the, the many investors do have investments in water-related solutions, so they may have some, you know, private markets exposure where they're where they've uh, where they're investing in companies who are providing such technology solutions in this space, or they may have more general infrastructure funds um, with you know water-related activity you know, um, companies there. Um, but most investors really aren't considering the impact the impact of their investments on water. Um, so as you said in, in your intro, I think you know water is so absolutely essential to life here on earth, but it really isn't central to investors investors' decision making at the moment. And why do you think that is? Well I think uh, the fundamental reason that would sort of came out of our research um, and we we looked at um, uh, we, we did a survey of 70 odd um, asset owners and, and asset managers. We interviewed. We did over sort of thirty uh, detailed interview, interview follow-ups with uh, with people. I think one of the the fundamental reasons is that there's been a sort of lack of a transformational vision or, or a goal for water. I think that word transformational is quite key. Um, when we when we look at and sort of compare it with climate change, um, you know that's taken a while to build. Advanced investors were thinking about it many years ago. 
But the needle didn't really move for the industry as a whole until we've sort of had very clear science-based evidence. Um, and we've had, you know, targets such as one and a half degree world, potentially even net zero. And that's when the sort of investment community has really got stuck in. Uh, regulations, obviously, pay, played a part in certain parts of this world. Uh, you know, in the UK, it's really accelerated investors doing something. Um, but I think fundamentally, it's that transformational vision um, or approach which is which is needed. Um, some kind of end point or hoped for outcome, perhaps, that investors can work towards and something that generally inspires investors to continue to improve their practices over time, et cetera. And Helga, what are the challenges of getting this on the radar? Well, as John's been saying, uh, one of the key issues is that water has not been adequately priced. So that's um, fundamental for investors. And it trails far behind the other ESG uh, and investment priorities, such as climate change, inflation concerns, carbon and energy issues for this reason. Um, so when investors are exposed to water events that impact their assets like flood or drought or they are exposed to environmental breaches in mining or agriculture, for example, then it hits the investor radar because then it becomes critical to asset and shareholder value. So the way of getting it onto their radar is really to give investors ways to measure the positive and negative impacts, um, to have investors access comprehensive metrics. So currently, water volume is a key measure, but many more metrics are needed, particularly if we want to align with the Sustainable Development Goal 6, which is for clean water and sanitation. And investors, as John was saying, are lacking uh, not only a target or a direction um, to work towards, but a total portfolio approach to water considerations. They tend to look at water risks mostly in terms of security selection in public equities. It needs to be part of a whole portfolio approach. Investors also um, need to get it on the radar through having good data, as we know, to support allocation and also to be able to identify those industries with known exposure to very high water dependencies and therefore potentially risks. There are some tools available, such as the SASB series materiality mapping, which is water risk mapping of major benchmarks that can help to show exposure to high water stress or risk regions. Another way that investors can get it on the radar is to really dig into location information. So there are some data providers such as Bloomberg's BMAP, 427, CDP Water and others that have some location information, but it's often sufficient for taking investment decisions uh, for the majority of industries and companies. However, it's very useful for um, companies that have large assets like pipelines, refineries and utilities. The other factor that can be a barrier to getting it on the radar is that generally investors don't want to exclude or narrow their investable universe and they have to have clear information linking the benefits of doing so to their investment or be very clear on how high the risk is 
um, if they should avoid it. So that they are the sorts of things that we need to work on in order to put it on the radar. Wonderful. And anything else they can do that you can think of? I think the um, most important thing is that um, investors need, as John's been saying, frame up what is an incredibly critical investment issue and they can take a top-down and bottom-up perspective to really fully understand and invest in and engage with companies on water. So when we say top-down, that's about establishing clear investment beliefs and policies and looking, for example, at water scenario analysis at the total fund level to inform their decisions. And as we were saying, it's got to go across asset classes like fixed income, alternatives, as well as equities. A lot of our investors in the institutional space use scenario analysis and stress testing of their portfolios already for a wide range of investment risks. So we think that introducing water into this process is quite possible and fits really well with climate risk mitigation and adaption as well. So we believe that water-related scenarios and water risks and opportunities need to be elevated as, you know, very much part of climate change investing as well. One of the one of the other things investors can do from a sort of top-down approach is to be considering the value and water principles. Um, the, the these were sort of launched as part of the Value Water Initiative, which was part of the World Economic Forum at 2019. And one of the recommendations from that initiative was that we all understand, we value and water, water manage water much better. Um, so they they put in they defined sort of five principles to, to to for us to try and achieve that. So recognizing and embracing water's multiple values, protecting water sources. Uh, education, investment, as well as innovation, and I think those principles could easily be applied uh, applied to investors. So, having clear investment beliefs on water, as uh, as Helga uh, mentioned, avoiding products that systematically degrade water sources, engaging with investee companies is something which you know asset uh, managers are used to doing as part of their normal activities, but could they have a more specific focus um, on water as part of their sort of climate? change ESG um, uh, work, um, as well as obviously, you know, sort of allocating funds to, to innovative companies, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, at a fundamental level, it's all about getting it on asset owners' agendas, um, starting right at the top um, with beliefs. To work with asset owners, really over the last decade, most has guided investors to adopt um, a sustainable investment pathway, which really is very relevant to this discussion. Um, because the pathway process really applies to all kinds of e s and g issues, and what it does is it helps investors frame up the way that they invest, allocate, engage, etc. But importantly, it also gives the board oversight of the organization's sustainable investment approach, and it's a a tracking mechanism, and it allows the board, uh, from a governance standpoint to understand what progress it's making or what progress isn't being made too. Halga, could you talk a little bit more about the bottom-up approaches? Yeah, bottom-up processes can include to avoid products, projects or practices that systematically degrade water sources. I think uh, John's mentioned this. 
and investors can prioritise investment strategy searches and select investment managers that do have comprehensive bottom-up security-specific water analysis, um, looking at, say, water use and scarcity, as well as monitoring waste uh, and pollution um, tailings, et cetera, into rivers, lakes, the sea, by sectors and companies. So it's important for investors to be able to identify those companies that are contributors to the Sustainable Development Goal 6, but also those that are detractors when it comes to clean water and sanitation. Investors can also allocate to innovative companies on water infrastructure and new technology technologies to support positive investment into water. But importantly too, collaboration and engagement efforts are really important. And so shareholders are increasingly acting against companies that don't support sustainability of water sources. And it's a priority and increasingly shareholder interest, as well as targeting policymakers to ensure they're monitoring and policing companies effectively. So there are industry initiatives and collaboration. And um, a great example is CDP, our partner on this research, who have just gone through a public consultation to finalise their list of key water indicators and metrics. And they've now requested more than 1,200 financial institutions to start disclosing against new water indicators this year. So the data is building. And to you, John, what should investors be considering? I, I think I'd, coming back to one of the first points I make about the UK insurance market, I think actually this is an area where investors can can learn from. Um, you know, in sort of in that market, uh, businesses can go through a process to assess their flood risk. You know, they can carry out diagnostics of profiling and prioritizing sites which which drive their flood risk and then you know monitoring those flood risks taking action building resilience plans etc and that i think could easily be applied to asset owners um so uh you know helga mentioned taking undertaking scenario analysis uh, on the impact of 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 water on their investments but also as we've sort of talked about looking at individual companies and their portfolios and analyzing their water impact but potentially you know, I think that the, the sort of the way that the way that some companies are doing this in in the insurance market is is wise and not trying to assess flood risk and, and and water impact of absolutely every single portfolio right across the whole portfolio, um, but but actually uh, prioritizing where it's clear um, that there may be there, there may be action uh, there may be concerns and, and and then focusing on those at least at the start. And Helga, we've discussed that. Earth Day, 22nd of April is very significant. How significant is it in your mind? It's really significant. It's got a long history and the theme is most relevant to what we're talking about here today, invest in our planet. And I'm also so pleased that Mercer is supporting and partnering with We Don't Have Time, um, a day of live sessions interrogating these issues from, a, from an investment perspective. So I think it's a great reminder to me and to all of us that we share one earth and according to some research, we're using up the resources of 1.7 planets, overshooting the natural boundaries of the earth's capacity to sustain life 
and regenerate the resources we're using up. So there's a really strong message there to all of us that investors have their part to play in investing in our planet and now's the time to really mobilise and take a stand. John, Holger, real pleasure to speak to you. Well done on the work that you've been doing. And Mercer is partnering with We Do Not Have Time on a live broadcast session this Friday. It's called Investing with Intent. It brings together our colleagues at Mercer, also industry experts. Um, you can register for free. I'll leave a link in the podcast description. Thank you very much for listening to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues, and make sure you join us next time. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.